Super Talk Mississippi media production. Celebrating the people who make coastal Mississippi a great place to live, work, and play. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by the South Mississippi Boat Show, Friday, April 29th through Sunday, May 1st. And by AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women uh, who are making coastal Mississippi and Mississippi, for that matter, a great place to live work and play. Hey, we've got a great show today, and I want to, as a sort of a kind of a predicate to the conversation that we're going to have, I want to give you a little bit of background about some stuff that I was involved with early in my career. Before I became president and publisher of the, of the Sun-Herald, I was involved in a lot of efforts to to leave certain parts of the company, and I spent actually a, an extended a period of time and the operations side of our company. And when you're the operations director for a manufacturing facility, which a newspaper plant is, you have to be really apparent, very focused on OSHA rules and EPA regulations and local environmental regulations, et cetera. And we were part of Knight Ritter Company, and Knight Ritter was incredibly environmentally conscious. So it was really important to them. In fact, they did annual audits around this. It was very important to them to know that all of the newspapers that were part of their group we're paying close attention to the environmental requirements that we had. And, uh, you know, if you don't, if you don't measure it, you know, as someone once said, what gets measured gets done. If you don't pay attention to it, then it can it'd be easy for your other duties to overshadow whatever those important duties are. And you kind of move on and, and don't do it. So that's one of the reasons the environmental audits were done every year. Well, because it was important to, to Nate Ritter, I got involved in a number of organizations. I was involved in the Mississippi Wildlife Federation as a volunteer for many years. Actually became president of the, of the Wildlife Federation early in my career. Um, I was appointed as a member of what is called the Gulf of Mexico program. I was on the advisory committee. It's an EPA program that's really focused on the Gulf of Mexico. It involves states that are that drain into the Gulf of Mexico and obviously Mexico. You can imagine it's important to have Mexico as part of the conversation. I went to meetings in Mexico along the way. I learned a lot about, about the Mississippi River. Um, I mean, think of the Mississippi River. It's, uh, it's, it, it, it's a watershed that involves 32 U.S. states and two Canadian provinces. So everything that happens in those states ultimately drain down the Mississippi River, about 40% of the land mass of the continent, continental United States. I learned a lot about the Gulf of Mexico, too, that it's not like the Atlantic Ocean where you're having this constant flow. Someone described it to me. I shouldn't say it this way, but they did at one time. It's like a commode. It's just constantly going around the circles, but it doesn't actually flush. You have a little bit of seepage that might occur along the way, but the reality is what comes in down the Mississippi River goes into the Gulf of Mexico. Thank God it's a pretty resilient body of water, but we better be pay a lot more attention to what happens along the watershed of the Mississippi River. We learned that actually <clears throat> after the Bonnie Carey Spillway was open multiple times and we had the algae bloom. It wasn't necessarily just the fresh water that was our problem. It was all is the over nutrification from fertilizers and pesticides and all these other it polluted water basically. And it created a major problem for us. So we had to pay attention to it. And truthfully if you go back and look at history, I'm amazed myself that from the days I was involved in the Gulf of Mexico program back in the early 90s, all the way through today, America is still not investing in the Mississippi River watershed, the Mississippi River in particular, the way it should after all this time. In a way, it's actually kind of frustrating. But 
What I want to do, I've uh, invited two people to join me today. Matt Rhoda, who's the Senior Policy Director for Healthy Golf, and Kelly McGinnis, who's, uh, who works as the Executive Director for the National Mississippi River Network. And uh, first, let me welcome both to the show. How are you guys doing? Doing great. great. Thanks for having us here. Yeah. It's good to see you. So, so Kelly, when you when uh, when you hear me talk about where I, my past and being a little frustrated, we haven't exp- you know haven't um, you know invested the kind of money in, into this from a federal government point of view. It rings true with you and your organization, doesn't it? Yes, it certainly does. Uh, so, te- what is the Mississippi River Network? The Mississippi River Network is a coalition of over 60 organizations in all 10 main stem states the river flows through, as well as national organizations. And together, we focus on um, policy work as well as outreach. And we're working towards a healthy Mississippi River for for all. So for the people, for the land, for the water and the wildlife. That's that's good. I'm uh, I'm glad you're at the table because the reality is it's going to take a coalition to solve this governmental and non-governmental and lots of volunteers and lots of people focused. So so uh, coming, coming over to you, Matt, tell me about your organization, Healthy Golf. Sure. Yeah, I work for Healthy Golf. We are an environmental advocacy organization based in New Orleans. And our mission is, uh, our purpose is to collaborate and serve our communities who love the Gulf of Mexico by providing research, communications, and coalition building tools that they need to reverse the long pattern of over-exploitation of the Gulf's natural resources. And obviously, the Mississippi River plays a very large role in the health of the Gulf of Mexico and the communities that depend upon it. And we have, I'm based in New Orleans, but we have, uh, we have staff in Mississippi, Florida, and Texas as well. Well, interesting. Hey, listen, I always like to get to know people a little bit more about who they are, but I noticed for the uh, radio audience, you obviously can't see this, but Facebook and YouTube can. I see your guitars behind you. Are you a music aficionado? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. Actually, my main instrument is the banjo. I play a lot of uh, bluegrass and old time music. Uh, my banjos just aren't in the, in the picture. That's mm-hmm. that's my uh, uh, my grandpa's guitar that he used to play. So I don't I don't that's play so it very cool. much, but I like to yeah. have it up there to remind me. Well, I, uh, I I was I grew up on music. I bang on the piano. My mother was a music t- a piano teacher, but uh, I played drums my whole life. Drums kind of my thing. I love all kinds of music. I I mean, when I'm thinking hard, I've, I'll have Vivaldi or Mozart or Beethoven. But boy, do I love bluegrass. I love to go to the Smoky Mountains and Blue Ridge Parkway and just immerse myself in the culture there. It's so amazing. And did, is that where you got it from? Um, I picked it up when I was in uh, grad school in uh, at the University of South Carolina is where I picked yeah. up the banjo. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt, how did you end up getting into this kind of work? Well, I've lived on the Mississippi River almost my entire life. I grew up in southern Illinois, up on the bluffs of the Mississippi River. And uh, one of my uh, you know, formative moments that I had in my life was when I was in high school uh, was the Mississippi River flood of 1993. And that flooded my family's land, um, destroyed some, a family farm, and uh, I was down there sandbagging in Belvoir, Illinois, trying to shore up some of the agricultural levees that were down there. And, uh, you know, that really just kind of 
put something in my brain about the Mississippi. I've always had a connection to the and and subsequently a respect for the Mississippi River. And you know, you start hearing the stories of people saying, you know, how oh this this never happened before. This never we you know we flood. You know, the previous time things really we had the major flood was in twenty seven. And uh, it's and so that's just always been kind of a part of my life, and also just being um, in in the environment and making sure and learning about the connection of people to the environment. I think that's one thing that's always fascinated me is that I that people. The people and the environment aren't separate, and they depend on each other. And we need to be part of the environment. Um, and uh, I think we're learning kind of the consequences of of being more of having a dominion uh, perspective of just trying to control nature, and you know realizing that we can't control it. We can yeah. work with it. And uh, yeah. and I've been you know. Subsequently, got my degree and at Tulane University in New Orleans. Like I said, was out in uh, in South Carolina to get my master's degree, and I've been back and doing this specific work for uh, I don't know, sixteen, seventeen years now. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible, Kelly. I noticed you have a very calm dog sitting behind you. Where Where are you sitting now? Uh, you know, I'm in the Chicago area. That's my my best friend Jasper, who will just not leave my my side. So he is a Mississippi River lover as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, hey Kelly, we had a we had a uh, a guy in his 80s from Gulfport that went all the way to the headwaters of uh, of the Mississippi River and and did a canoe all the way down to the mouth of the Mississippi River. The oldest man to ever do that ever. And what was what was interesting about his journey? I spent some time in Minnesota when during my career doing some uh, in the, in the St. Paul area, and uh, and uh, with the outdoor reporter for the St. Paul's Pioneer Press went to went to fish and sort of enjoy the outdoors there. The headwaters of the Mississippi River, are some of the most beautiful parts of the country. <laughs> and as you work your way down, it gets bigger and more violent and more needed to be tamed. At least they think they can tame it. The core thinks they can tame it. But it is a it is an incredible body of water, isn't it? Oh, it, it is. And I think, Ricky, you hit on something that the river is so different. So depending where you live, you see a very different Mississippi River if you're fortunate to live near near the river but from you know from the headwaters to the gulf it changes dr- dramatically and people's relationship changes dramatically so i think one of our um roles as well as people focused on the Mississippi and wanting to connect people to why the Mississippi is important is um understanding that the river is different depending where you are. Like where in uh, the coastal Mississippi, uh, state of Mississippi, I'm sorry, is, you know, that's a much wider, like you said, um, I don't want to use the word violent, but just stronger river and that you just have to understand that there may be more fear around how to engage with with that river. So let's do this. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk more about why this is an important conversation for coastal Mississippians and for Mississippi for that matter. We have uh, Matt Rhoda, who is the Senior Policy Director from Healthy Gulf, and Kelly McGinnis, who is with the National Mississippi River Network. She's the Executive Director there. We'll continue the conversation on the other side. See you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Matt Rhoda, who's with Healthy Gulf, and Kelly McKinnis, who's with the National Mississippi River Network. And when we went to break, uh, Kelly was letting us know where she was. And we're talking about the incredible diversity of the Mississippi River. It is quite a, it's quite diverse. I would actually say that it's probably one of the most taken for granted um, watersheds in the world, <laughs> probably because of its impact. I mean, in every respect, environmentally, culturally, agriculturally, economically, good lord, the impact on on the United States is truly remarkable. Kelly, how did you get into this business? So my background, I grew up in Illinois, but not around, not on the river closer to the Chicago area, um, but had a deep connection with nature just from how, how I was brought up uh, and water. Um, and I first started off my career as a fisheries biologist in the Pacific Northwest, working on rivers, uh, as well as coastal Washington, and in particular focused on, on fish, which I loved, but I felt like I wanted to have... Um, a larger impact mm-hmm. that maybe focusing on one species of fish while very important uh, wasn't maybe the right path for me. And I was also interested in connecting with people a bit more than you get to when you're a research scientist. Um, yeah. And then I also moved back to the Chicago area and was just fortunate to uh, find the Mississippi River Network um, and an opportunity to get back into water, uh, water work. Um, so it, was, it just, it, allowed me to have the, my science background as well as my desire for communications and connecting people uh, to nature and to science. Uh, so yeah. I was very fortunate to find this role. And I've been with the Mississippi River Network for about eight years now um, and have really seen a lot of enthusiasm grow for the Mississippi River, which I just love. And I know we need more and more people connected to the river uh, to get to where we want to be. Yeah, I see that. Hey, by the by the way, this uh, Pacific Northwest was that is some beautiful part of this country, isn't it? Oh, it is one of the the. If anyone ever has the chance to go to the uh, temperate rainforest, the Olympic National Park, I think it's one of the most beautiful places on earth I've ever been. Yeah, woo! What a what a great part of the country. Hey, so Matt, coming back over to you, are we making progress? Uh, yes, we are making progress. Uh, you know, we. Back, back, you know, several decades ago, we were dumping raw sewage into the river and not regulating anything. So, yes, we the Mississippi River is a lot cleaner than it was, um, but that doesn't mean that it is clean and that we still have a lot of pollution that flows down the Mississippi River, especially uh, fertilizer pollution that comes from uh, runoff from agricultural fields that cause things like the uh, algae bloom that we saw in the Bonnie Carey that impacted coastal Mississippi a couple years ago and that causes the dead zone down in the Gulf of Mexico every year. And we don't aren't seeing it get smaller. So I think I would say that it's a it's a story where we're kind of in the second act right now with the Mississippi River that we've uh, made some progress, but now is the time to really make sure that not only is it clean, but also that we are not that we're giving the river room to do what rivers are supposed to do and, uh, you know, protecting the floodplains, restoring the communities and restoring the relationship between the floodplains communities and the river. 
You know what would be interesting? This is a whole nother conversation, so I'm not even asking this as a question. It's just an observation. Uh, we have at least three farms in the Mississippi Delta and have great relationships with farmers up there. And they are obviously hugely challenged right now because of the the Russian situation. And they're, they're you know trying to figure out, okay, how do we play the markets from what we're going to plant? And we're seeing a lot more of them moving like the soybeans, for example, where they don't have to fertilize as much as, say, if they did corn or cotton. It would be interesting to see if there's an accumulative effect of less fertilization on on the river, or if that's something you can even measure. And is that just is that just a one time blip? Will the dead zone be less off the coast uh, of uh, Louisiana this year than it was in the past year? I don't know. It'd be interesting. I don't even know if anybody's weighing into that at all. <clears throat> when you when you think about it, Kelly, uh, are we making progress from your point of view? You know, I think Matt hit hit the nail on the head. There has been progress. Um, you know, the Clean Water Act turns 50 years old this year. And while the, the true aspiration of that act has not been seen, which is all rivers are swimmable, fishable, drinkable, it has had had an impact. Uh, we don't dump raw sewage into the water any, anymore. Um, we have more and more organizations and communities wanting to figure out how to live better with the river as well. So, you know, in my work, I'm uh, privy to communities that are trying to redevelop their floodplain. So when flooding happens, um, they have they have the the they're not ruining infrastructure, but hey, this um, this park is built to flood, but then people can in, enjoy it in other in other times, for example. So there has been progress, but we, we don't have a coordinated approach to fighting the problems on the Mississippi River. And I think when you look at a system as big as the river, and as you said, Ricky, it's training about 40% of the continental United States, you just need to have a coordinated approach looking at that whole system and how we can um, help improve it from that perspective. So I agree with Matt that we are in the second act. We're building up that um, like a concert, the the drumbeat is getting louder uh, for us to really have the opportunity to actually make true progress instead of these little fits and starts. Well, if you go back and go back in history, and uh, we spent a lot of time when I was in the Gulf of Mexico program studying the Chesapeake Chesapeake Bay National Estuary Program and the successes that have been gained in at Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay. People down here might think about the Everglades and what's happened in the Everglades over a number of years. You think about the Great Lakes, really a good success story in terms of where we were back in the height of the manufacturing uh, you know, sector around around the, the Great Lakes and what has happened since then. I mean, you go to Chicago today and the, and the water is beautiful. And I know that it's still, there's still challenges, but it is, a, it is a far cry from what it was. You think, I, I, again, I studied a lot about Chesapeake Bay because I wanted, to, I wanted to understand how they made so much progress and what kind of focus that needs to be. And it is quite amazing that there hasn't been a federally funded, um, dedicated funding source for restoration for the Mississippi River. And, and the thing that all these other areas, including Puget Sound, have in common is this dedicated federal restoration program. Why haven't we been able to achieve that, that goal? I know that there's efforts underway now, but looking back, why have we failed to be able to create the same kind of restoration program for the Mississippi River? 
You know, I think that one of the challenges the Mississippi River states is just faces is that the geography is larger than even the Great Lakes area. So the amount of um, need of 10 states as well as the to, to be in agreement and the federal government, I think that just has offered some larger challenges um, why we haven't gotten there yet. But as you mentioned, we currently do have an opportunity to get a geographic program for the Mississippi River and the ability to have a non-regulatory voluntary program that basically just adds funding, think of it as topping off existing government programs that like, Farm, an example would be topping off conservation programs in the farm bill that farmers love and want to participate in and often there isn't enough um, and there isn't enough money to go around so they're not able to and that could have a huge impact and there's no reason for people to not want to have this coordinated approach that just makes the river healthier makes communities healthier um, and makes people more prepared for events like flooding. Yeah. Mississippi passed this year an outdoor stewardship trust fund that's designed to create matching funds so that we can put, draw down the lion's share of the money happens to be in the farm bill. But the farm bill, what a revolutionary piece of legislation and what it's done for the environment and creating habitat. It's, it's truly one of the big success stories for America, isn't it, Matt? Oh, very much so. Uh, and that's that's the thing is that we... Was another one of these differences is that we're just so heavily that we're a lot more rural here than a lot of these other programs are, and so that brings in a lot of the uh, land stewardship opportunities of farmers and things like that. And it's just so a lot of it is that we just aren't you know funding some a lot of the things that we could be funding to just make sure because sometimes you need uh you need the funds to put in that grass waterway for your farm or to put up fencing to keep cattle out of fields or to put on cover crops and uh, we need uh, to support our farmers and uh, other other folks to make sure that they have the the ability to do that. And sometimes it costs a little bit more money or it costs more money up front, but then they can reap the benefits year after year that they're keeping their topsoil. Uh, so I think it's, you know, the we're currently trying to push through um, a uh, program in the, in the House of Representatives right now called the Mississippi River Restoration and Resilience Initiative, which would basically make this program possible, put money towards this. Representative McCollum from Minnesota has put it forward, and we have Representative Benny Thompson from Mississippi. We have Representative Carter from Louisiana, all pushing for this program. Well, I'm excited to hear that. And what we'll do is consider this just the beginning of a conversation because we're out of time. But I, we did what we needed to do today, just bring it to people's psyche, and, uh, and hopefully we can we can get this restoration resilience initiative moving forward for the Mississippi River. I'm, I'm confident we can, but we'll uh, check in with you guys and see how we're progressing. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ricky. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Kelly and Matt. We really appreciate you guys. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.